Got it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, today I have the pleasure of having my guests, Dr. Alona Polde and Dr. Matt Letterman on the show. They recently authored this wonderful book called Wellness to Wonderful. You may remember them from the movie Forks Over Knives. They're also New York Times bestselling authors of the Forks Over Knives book. Please welcome them to the show. It's always good to see you. It's been such a long time since you've been on. It's always great to see you too, AJ. Yes, thank you for having us. So you're going to talk about nine pillars for living healthier, longer, and with greater joy. So I've heard of the six pillars, I believe, of lifestyle medicine, but nine pillars? Tell me about these. (laughs) So uh, the nine pillars um, are something that we kind of have come upon for over years and years and years of experimenting and exploring and researching. Um, and I think, you know, Matt and I have a really great curiosity, which is what led us to nutrition and lifestyle medicine in the first place, how to constantly questioning, how do we optimize our experience? How do we optimize our lives and our health and our wellness? And from nutrition and lifestyle, um, you know, we noticed that despite really great diet, despite exercise, despite prioritizing sleep, there were still things that were missing and we couldn't really say, oh, we're optimized or what we have come to call, we weren't living in a, in a state of life is wonderful. And we wanted to live in that state. Who, who wouldn't want to live a state of life is wonderful. And so along the way, we began exploring different facets and have identified these nine pillars. And the pillars start with yourself because that really is the foundation. Um, and the biggest thing is discerning what you like, what you don't like, what you want to take with you, what you want to release, how you want the next, how do you want to experience this life? Right. And in that discernment, there are these other pillars that you can tend to pay attention to. And when you do, life really feels wonderful. And those pillars are sleep, nutrition, activity, play, um, which is the what we call the internal world, what we can optimize on our own and allows us to be resourced enough to then go and relate to our external world, which is our friends, um, our family, our work, our spirituality, and the natural world. Right. And the key and the, when we talk about life is wonderful, when you tend to these pillars, when you are aware of them and you tend to them, that is what will get you heading in that direction of life is wonderful. And life is wonderful doesn't mean that you're, everything's happy all the time. Uh, it means that overall, you're really doing wonderful. And you can have your downs, you have your ups, and you know you're going to get through them. But to be able to, when someone asks you, hey, AJ, how are you doing? That's how you respond. And, it's, and that happens not when things are always good. You can, have, you can have a wonderful, wonderful experience when even feeling unpleasant feelings. And that's, that is so important to uh, understand as well, that it doesn't mean you're happy all the time. Right. It means that you're experiencing life you're optimizing your experience of your life, whether it's in the ups and the downs, and that you have the skills to really come from a place of choice and authenticity and discernment um, that allows that state of of wonderful. 
So, and maybe it's, maybe some people are saying, why are these doctors talking about connection? Why are doctors talking about this, this stuff that um, some people might even call, Hey, it's, you know, emotional or, Hey, it's fluffy or, and what we found is that it actually affects your physical health. So connection, lack of connection or isolation or um, not knowing what you're feeling and needing and not being able to communicate in a way that brings you closer together to people. What we found is that actually affects your physical health. It affects things, everything from your LDL cholesterol and your hemoglobin A1C to the microbiome and the gut flora when you suppress emotion. This is, there's studies that show this. So it's really, it's not an either or nice to have. You're trying to get rid of inflammation through your food. That's fantastic. And it's a non-negotiable. You have to affect the diet. But there's also inflammation that's triggered from these other pathways that we talk about. And that's why we brought those in as well, so that you could get the full comprehensive anti-inflammatory experience. Well, I believe you that all these things that aren't covered by traditional lifestyle medicine, because I'm listening to some book now, and I wish I could remember the title, but they're talking about orphanages where the kids had all the needs met. In other words, they had enough clothes, they had enough food, they had shelter, but they had no connection and they had failure to thrive. Hmm. Exactly, exactly. And we sort of know it. And, you know, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I remember uh, talking to doctors and they would say things like, yeah, diets, you know, diet's important, you know, I mean, it'll help maybe 10%, you know, it'll affect a little bit of your, it's, it's great to eat, you know, nicely, but there was nobody saying that if you change your diet in a certain way, you will reverse major chronic diseases, right? Coming out and saying that, and I feel like that needs to happen in this connection experience as well, that if you tend to that, you will impact your life in really, really, really important uh, powerful ways. And I think that's what we're trying to do is raise awareness to that and bring it all together. Right. So on the heels of the success of Forks Over Knives, is that when you decided to kind of go in this direction and write this book? We've been working on this for years, putting notes together, researching, accumulating these different modalities. We bring in lots of healing modalities. We, re we still rely on you know, we, we value Western medicine, we value nutrition and lifestyle medicine, we, we bring in trauma-informed care, we bring in somatic, somatic awareness, and we bring in uh, pain reprocessing, we talk about polyvagal theory, and we bring all we, Chinese medicine, when you bring all of this together, it takes little time to not only become proficient in all these areas, um, for example, I got uh, certified as a, um, a certified trainer of nonviolent communication. That took four years of training, and I just completed the certification um, at the beginning of this year. That's another piece that's really important, but it, it was actually, for me, harder than medical school, right? Learning it's, it's almost as long as medical school. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so it took us some time, and it's been something that's been growing, and we've been adding to it, and we finally got to a place where we said, hey, we have a model here, and we were able to distill it into a, something that's really applicable, really uh, um, accessible. And yeah. And ahead. I think I think it also came from pers a personal journey as well. Do you want to share that? Yeah. So for example, I was at the cleanest diet, exercise, checked all the boxes, slept the, you know, the eight hours I needed every day. I was checking all the wellness boxes, right? Fitbit looked fantastic, the perfect number of steps, but I create, I got chronic back pain and sciatica. And I couldn't get rid of this. And I was going to look at surgery, even though surgery was not shown to improve or help people, but I was desperate, it, people in my situation. 
right? With my symptoms, surgery wasn't shown to help, but I was so desperate. I was talking to orthopedic surgeons and I came across one that talked to me about um, some of the pain reprocessing. And this was many years ago, right? And I said, wow, this sounds a little bit crazy. And I said, but that's my response was when I first was exposed to a plant-based diet. I said, this sounds a little bit crazy. And when I explored it and I jumped in, I started learning. I said, oh my God, this makes a lot of sense. And then I tried it on myself, similar to what I did with the plant-based diet. And I felt fantastic. I ate beans and rice for a week and I thought I was going to feel miserable and I felt fantastic. Similarly with these other issues, all of a sudden my pain, my chronic pain went away. And I was like, holy cow, how, how is that possible? And that fueled continuing to learn and explore and connect with these ex experts and continue to add this to our treatment uh, model. That's amazing. And do you guys work with patients personally? Yes. So we were, we have, um, uh, our website is weheal.health and um, we work, we have a couple other doctors that we've trained. We all um, practice with this modality, these, these uh, integrated uh, program and we have health mentors and our health mentors, we have a nutrition and lifestyle mentor, connection mentor, trauma recovery mentors, and we all work together as a team to support clients. We also have um, uh, classes. We have different, uh, we have support groups. So Lona, for example, runs a weekly, uh, what's it, weight, weight, healthy weight uh, support group. And then we have uh, fundamentals of nutrition that runs every month. Uh, nutrition and kitchen, uh, essential kitchen principles, right? So there's all different things that we put together, whether we're working individually or people want to work in groups in these support groups, or they want classes so that we can support people. And that's the key, right? Getting to this state of life is wonderful and optimizing or, or tending to these nine pillars is not a destination, right? It's, it's a flow. That's why it's this infinity symbol is the, uh, and it's a flow that you tend to, and they can get in and out of balance. And the key is to be able to identify when you sort of fall off the path and have the skills and resources to get back on the path. Not that you're going to stay on the path where there's a destination. And, uh, you know, just the other day I was telling Alona as we were preparing for the, the book launch that I said, oh my God, I was, I went and sort of did a, a little intake and my, one of my pillars around play was way out of whack. And I said, wow, I really need to tend to this. And it just you know, it was able to go away with uh, some friends for the weekend from college friends. And I came back and wow, did I feel restored. And even though I had a cold and I was feeling under the weather physically, life felt wonderful for me. I was so restored and rejuvenated and connected that it was, and, and had so much play and presence and fun. That, so that to me is an example of right before my eyes where, hey, I'm not always living you know, where everything is 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 tended to, but I was able to assess and use this framework to get into it and then and then had skills or resources to address it. I think cool. that's the key is that this framework, one, it's interdependent. And we know that, for example, when we don't get a good night's sleep, we tend to make, or, you know, we have a tendency to make less healthy food choices. When we are stressed out about work or in conflict in relationships, whether it's with our family or our friends, we have a really hard time sleeping. We don't really want to engage in play. And we, again, may not make the healthiest decisions around food. Um, and so all of those are interrelated. And the idea behind this model, the nine pillars, is to allow yourself to take inventory. So when you're not feeling that state of life is wonderful, it's not about not being 
able to do it or that it's an impossible thing to attain. It's more, oh, this is my opportunity to kind of pay attention to which pillars are off balance and what can I do about that? Right, because that's it's really helpful to once you identify the pillars, you have insight into these needs that you want to tend to. And when, like Alona said, one affects the other and they're bi-directional. So if you don't sleep well, with studies show, like if you will take groups of people and you give one group six hours of sleep, the other group eight hours, and you tell them both to eat the same food spread as much as they want until they're full or satisfied, the group that uh, only slept six hours will eat hundreds of calories more before they stop eating. So just getting eight hours of sleep affects your nutrition and affects your ability to your, your caloric intake. And the flip side, like Alona said, if you're disconnected or you're mobilized and you're in this state of fight or flight all the time, it's going to be very hard to fall asleep. So then you're not going to get, so that's why tending to your nervous system and regulating it, which we talk about, will help your sleep, which will ultimately help you, your food choices. And to me, that's the key is that don't just focus when you're living in a state of life is wonderful, meaning you've tended and are aware of these pillars, everything else will fall into place. So now you can just focus on that instead of saying, I got to focus on my sleep and I got to focus on my diet. I got to focus on my exercise, right? So it makes it a little bit easier. Well, play is my favorite one of your pillars. And that is a non-negotiable for me. I've had the food dialed in for a long time, but a life without play is just very drab, dreary. What is What are one of your favorite ways to play? Oh, I do comedy. So people, a lot of people think this is like, I mean, this is my job, but it's not my passion. My passion is comedy. And I take seven acting classes a week, seven. Wow. Wow. Like that's why we have a hard stop today. Cause I have, I have six hours of acting classes today, of improvisational comedy. And one of my classes is remotely in LA. It's from 10 to one. So I do not negotiate with play. I mean, that's like, you know, I mean, well, I don't negotiate with any of them because they're so important <laughs> sleep either, but you got to have play. And I worry about Charles because he doesn't play and play is like, you, you know, I mean, I, I think we, I don't think we should stop playing because we grow older. I think we grow older because we stop playing. Right. And I think one of the things that people might not know is my guess is one of the things that makes you so successful is the fact that you tend to these other pillars and that if you are lacking play in your life, I think it's going to affect your ability to do the other things that you want to do. So it's not just the nice to have. I think it's essential. Well, that's, you remember that old saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's some truth to that. Hey, you're not going to believe this. This is so wonderful. Stephanie, who's watching live, said she got your book yesterday. She's only in a few chapters, but it's already fabulous. She highly recommends it to everybody. And she actually has a question. She says, one of your, in your pillars connection, you talk about connection to others, but also about connection to self. Can you please explain that a bit? The connection to self. Yes. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much for those kind <laughs> words. We really, really appreciate that. Um, that is wonderful to hear. Um, and I'm, I'm taking that in. Uh, and um, yeah, so self, the pillars, self is at the center of our model. And what has happened is in living in mobilization, which so many people live in, in this survival mode of um, you know, making and making our lists and checking them off, moving on the hamster wheel of what's next, what's coming. We live in this like constant doing, 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 doing. And we have stepped away from being. We've become really disconnected with ourselves in the sense that we're almost on autopilot 
most to all of the time. And so self-connection is a real opportunity to be present to, um, to you, really, and to connect to, I like, we use the word discerning, to discern or take inventory or connect to what do I want in this moment? What do I want for this day? What do I like? What do I not like? You know, it, um, I often think of self-connection. I think of the movie Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts. And I don't know if anybody's seen it, but there's this one scene where she has always kind of adopted her fiance's personas. So if they, they have this egg scene, if they like scrambled eggs, she likes scrambled eggs. If they like poached eggs, she likes poached eggs, whatever that is. And, and in this one scene, she's trying to figure out what eggs does she actually like? And so she has them all in a row and she's tasting it for the first time, trying to think, who am I and what do I actually like? And so that is the opportunity for self-connection. And when we can do that, then we can see, we, we connect to needs that we have that are universal. We connect to, oh, I do have a need for play and it isn't being met. I didn't, it wasn't even in my awareness because it wasn't on my checklist. You know, I do have a, a need for activity, but I don't like going to the gym for an hour. What are other things? What do, what do I like? Do I like to go dancing? Do I like to take a walk? Do I like Pilates or yoga? You know, so it's that opportunity. Right, that, that ability to really look authentic, authentically, right? Hey, what is going, what is alive in me? What are my feeling? What are my needs? And then also learning the connection piece, learning how to share them in a way that brings you closer together to other people. A lot of times we suppress what are, either we're not aware of them or we suppress them to try and be, har be in harmony with other people. And it's stepping back. And then once you say, hey, I actually do care about what I'm feeling and needing. Now, how do I do that? And then we give you tools. Nonviolent communication is an example of one of the tools that we use to be able to learn how to do that skill and how to communicate it in a way that brings you closer together. And that to me is one of the things that I really struggled with. And in fact, I'm, you know, could be something really little. I'll give you an example, just an hour, you know, five minutes before the show here, I asked I was about to grab three shirts and say, hey, Alona, which one should I wear for the for this um, talk? And then I say, you know what? Why don't I check inside and see what I want to wear? I was so I'm so used to being a good kid, a good student, a good worker based on what people around me told me that was right. So now I have to figure out what is it that I want? So when people ask us, this happens a lot on podcasts, AJ, where they'll say, what are the three things that you should do to be have life is wonderful? And if you're thinking that way, you're still in that paradigm of someone else outside of you telling you what to do. What we're trying to do is help people cultivate the skill to discern what's inside of us. And then that will lead me to life is wonderful. Don't do it because matter alone told you. Do it because it's what makes you feel alive. And that's where wonderful lives. So that to me... And it doesn't mean you can't have help, right? If you haven't done this before, it can be tough to do this. So getting help, whether it's through a program that we offer, through our book, through someone else, a lot of people are trying to can support you, but really stay tuned into what is that makes makes you alive internally. And I think one more thing that um, 
as you were talking, I was also thinking might be helpful is to to separate um, a lot of times what we think we need are actually the strategies that we're using to meet needs. And by strategies, I mean actions or behaviors. For example, um, I need to exercise. I need to go to the gym. I need to go to a run. Um, I need to make dinner. Right. All of those are actually strategies. I we do need movement. Movement is a need, a universal need. Do we need to formally exercise? That's one strategy. Can we go play basketball or soccer at the park? Sure. And that's movement. Can we dance in our living room? Absolutely. That's movement. So there are a lot of different ways to meet this need. I need nutrition. I need um, uh nutrients, right? And so, but do I need to make dinner? I can go out to dinner. I can go to a friend's. I can order and I can ask somebody else to make me dinner. You know, the, there are many different ways to meet that need. So the first part of the self is to even connect to what am I actually needing and then allow that expansiveness of how, what are the variety of different ways that I can meet that need you know, like Matt with his shirt example, I could ask Alona, that's one way to meet the need. I could discern for myself. I could ask the neighbor. I could come in and ask AJ, you know, whatever that is, but you can start building your strategies and then checking in to see which one resonates most with you at this moment. And practicing that for the little things, which will make doing it with the big things, right? Oh, I don't really feel like getting together with my family this holiday. Or do I just go anyway? Because that's what I should do, right? That's a harder one than what shirt should I wear, right? Although let's just pause for a second. What do you think of my shirt? Should, maybe, <laughs> is it okay? I'm picking a good one. Hey, All right, good. Your book is available in paperback on Kindle and people are wondering, will there be an audible version soon? Yes. In fact, thank you to you, AJ. We uh, did do the, I said, AJ wants an audible. You know, so we did, we did it and Alona narrated it. Um, actually I'm singing in it for one little part of it. So there's uh, we're excited to get that out probably in the next, it'll probably be ready in the next two weeks. Oh, wow. That'll be great. That's definitely how I'm going to enjoy the content. So there's a question from a live viewer named Dina. And she said, do you remember having dinner with the, her cousins, the HUD, how do you say their names? Uh, Hindawis from New Jersey, Avon and her husband, who was a brain surgeon. I'm trying to remember. I'd have to have more. I'd have to have more. Uh, give us give us some more information, maybe. More context. Okay. And Susanna says, I love to ride my e-bike around town and miss it when I can't fit it in. It brings me so much joy. So can exercise be considered a form of play? Absolutely. If you, again, it's the intention. So one of the beautiful things about play is that it's something that we absorb ourselves in absolute. There's no destination. There's no goal. There's no something that I have to do at this time. And this is what it looks like. Um, and so if you completely enjoy it and it's something that brings you that sense of pleasure, absolutely. It can be a form of play. It's, you know, in our book, um, you'll see there's kinesthetics, like a lot of people like movement as part of play. And so that meets that need, right? There's different play personalities. Comedy is one of them too, right, AJ, right. the Joker. <laughs> the Joker, right, exactly. That's me. That's, 
That's me. So that's uh, and and play. You can see it, right? I was talking to some friends this weekend about their kids in in sports, and for the the dads were that were there supporting their kids, just having fun and playing soccer, versus there was you know the parents that are like you you know you got to score, and you know if you don't do it, you know they're going to be upset, and that's a it's the same game, but for one kid it's play, and for the other kid it's not going to be play. Right. So to me, it's not so much the activity, it's the intention and the experience, what's going on inside of you behind it. Yeah. What challenges do you see people face when they either try to adopt a plant-based diet or really any of the pillars in your book? I think the, the biggest challenge is um, not giving themselves time for the adoption of new habits for change to, to happen. You know, we've, a lot of times there's this expectation, oh, I'll, I can do it. I can invoke willpower and it will just change overnight. And the habits that we have formed took a long time to get, you know, to develop to what they are now. It's going to take some undoing and unlearning and the creation of new habits. We talk about um, the idea of neuroplasticity, and it's it's we can create new neural pathways, but they take a little bit of time. And I'm a very visual person, so I like to imagine it like you're walking through a forest, and you have the path that you've taken for years and years and years, and it's paved and it's open and it's easy to walk through, and it takes you all the way from point A to point B without any trouble or any obstacles along the way. And so you're naturally going to go down that path. Now you want to create a new path. You want to go instead of from A to B, you want to go from A to C. But A to C now has bushes and trees and you got to move out branches and you got to really carve that path out for yourself. So that's going to take a little bit of work up front. And 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 if you're not mindful of that and you're not kind of committed to that, it's very easy to just go down the old path that you took because it's ready for you. It's waiting. It's inviting you in. And if you and a lot of people, the way they try to change paths is they point out what's wrong with path A to B. So they'll say if path A to to B is I'm going to eat the standard American diet and I'm going to be sedentary on the couch watching Netflix all day. And you're saying, okay, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Here's what's wrong. I got to not eat the standard American diet. And I got to not be on the couch watching Netflix all day. That's thinking about what you shouldn't do. What we talk about is focusing on what you do want, right? And and so what I want to do will get is that's what will get you to path C, right? So you can't get to path C by focusing on what you don't want in path B. And that's really important is what do you want? What does success look like for you? A lot of conven- the conventional healthcare system starts off by asking, hey, what's wrong with what's wrong? What's the matter? What's the problem? And we like to start off instead by saying, what does right look like for you? And then once you're clear, you, know, you can't learn, you can't learn Spanish by trying not to speak English. Right? You got to focus on what you do want. First, you got to get clear on what you want. That's self-connection figuring out what your feelings and needs are, what you're liking, what you're not liking. Then you can say, this is what I do want. And then you make clear requests and doable strategies to head in that direction and to support you when you accidentally fall down or head down path B, right? Because that's going to happen. But hey, we can continue, you know, paving that new path. Nice. So 
let me ask you this. How, I mean, what, how do you know if wellness has been achieved? Like, you know, like for example, if somebody comes to see you for high blood pressure and you put them on a plant-based diet, you can measure their blood pressure and see that it's gotten better. But with these pillars, how does, how does one know? How do you know? <laughs> so, so this is one of those things, again, there's a static and a sort of a dynamic way of looking at the world. And when if we think about wellness has been achieved, is this sort of static destination, which is how a lot of people think about it. What we're trying to shift in this book is that dynamic. How do we stay connected and, and tuned in to our pillars for the rest of our lives? Because what pillar is out of balance today will be different to what's out of balance a week from now. And even if all of your pillars are tended to today, a week from now, something might be out of balance. So to me, it's more not, hey, you got there, congratulations. It's how are you doing in the present moment? And we're going to be checking in. That's what our providers, right? Our, our team is, is does with everybody is how are you doing right now in this present moment? What's alive for you? What's alive in you? What are the pleasant feelings that you're feeling? What are the unpleasant feelings? When you get these unpleasant feelings, they're really helpful. They tell us, hey, there's certain needs of yours that aren't being met in this moment. And that helps us hone in on where we want to spend more time. A lot of people are, if we talk about this too in the book, right? How do we navigate unpleasant feelings, right? It's not to try and reframe everything in the positive. It's not trying to avoid them from happening. It's actually learning how to embrace these feelings and then let them flow through. And actually what stimulates a sense of inner peace is not when your needs are met. It's actually just connecting to your needs even when they're not met. That awareness and self-connection is what will start stimulating peace. You don't actually have to meet them, although it's nice to. And when we do connect to them, we have the ability to take action to meet them. But all those needs in your life don't have to be met in the moment to, be, to feel this sense of inner peace and, and expansiveness and satisfaction in your life. And I think it's kind of like, again, like it, we've all experienced colds or viruses where our body just kind of feels off and we feel out of balance. And then it passes and our body finds its balance again. It's kind of that same analogy. Like we don't quite realize how, how great it is to be in that state of life is wonderful until we experience that. We step out of, you know, in this survival mode, again, that so many of us are in burning the candle at both ends, feeling exhausted and depleted. And um, there's this isolation and disconnection and a lack of joy we the opportunity that exists is to to that's kind of the illness that's kind of the flu right that whatever it is that we're feeling and when we can take inventory and we can start kind of poking our head up and saying okay i have options here i don't have to feel like i'm sick all the time and these are the things that i can tend to to make that life experience more wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Susanna says, when somebody who follows these principles eats the way that you recommend occasionally has a poor night of sleep, what strategies do you suggest to get through the minefield they experience, the minefield of eating the next day? So I guess she's saying that poor sleep affects her ability to stick to a healthy eating plan. So. There's a couple of things here. I always back up instead of, sometimes we try to go right to the strategy. What do I have to do to fix this? 
And what I would want to do, again, we talk about the self first. I'd want to connect to the self. There, it's, there's a reason why she had a poor night of sleep. What's affecting? And depending on what that is, right? If there were kids playing drums in the, the apartment next to her, that's one thing, right? If there's something internal going on and she's feeling really uh, anxious about something the next day, or hey, actually there's this falling out with friend or family member that's causing disconnection in her life, or hey, maybe she ate something and she's got heartburn and that's keeping her up all night. I don't know what, what it is, but I'd want to do some self-connection around that, which would then direct what to do. But I would slow down the strategizing and really connect in because even if she makes bad choices, bad, right? Food choices that next day, that's not going to make or break her if she can figure out what, if she knows that that's caused by sleep and she's able to do what she needs to, to increase her sleep or, or optimize her sleep the next night. To me, that would be the focus. And then if we want to talk about, hey, when you're really tired, what do I do? Do you have, do you have like, if you're under-resourced, we call it, we call it under-resourced, right? Where you just don't have the the energy, you know, you haven't, you haven't eaten well, you haven't slept well, you haven't moved, right? That being under-resourced, what do you do when you want to make better food choices? Yeah. And I think self-compassion is a really important piece of that too. You know, taking a minute to say, oh, I had a really poor night's sleep. And I know that in the past, when I have gotten a poor night's sleep, I don't make decisions in food choices that increase you know, that bring that state of life is wonderful. And I often, by the end of the day, wish, you know, that I had made different choices. So sitting with that, just, oh, all of that feels really weighty at the moment, right? One of the things about being in the state of life is wonderful is that at any moment you have choice and it's coming from, it's being present and coming from that place of choice, Right. And so recognizing, so that could be anything, you know, we talked about strategies, right? That could be anything from choosing, oh, you know, I'm really tired today. And the best that I can do is making food choices that, you know, I might regret later, but that's what I need to do now. But you are still in choice around that decision. That's one strategy. Other strategies are to say, okay, what am I really needing right now? Am I needing to take a nap? Do I have the ability to do that? Am I needing to take it easy? Am I needing to maybe not do as much movement because I'm feeling tired? Okay, I'm going to honor and respect that. Am I looking for more calorie density in my food choices? I'm going to hear that. And then in that even, I'm looking for more calorie dense choices. Can I do that You know, with some of AJ's delicious desserts? Right? So, so all along the way are a variety of different choices for handling our fatigue. And it really depends on what is available to you. And then, you know, sometimes it's expressive writing or journaling, journaling through, you know, I'm really feeling tired and that tired looks like this. I just want to eat, you know, all of these comfort foods that I'm going to regret later and, and so on and so forth. And you unravel kind of what's happening inside of you and get more clarity on what's even happening, what are you really desiring? What are you needing at that moment? And then start fielding the strategies to see which one resonates most. Right, I like, that I like that idea because it's what we don't want is we don't want to do anything reactively, right? So if we're reactively responding to somebody in our communication style or reactively eating, we want to be sort of in choice whenever possible. 
So the choice, for example, is not that you can eat whatever foods you're thinking about, but hey, I really want to make sure I'm making choice and not just reactively or impulsively putting it in my mouth. So when Alona suggests, just do, you know, say, hey, I can eat whatever I want, but I first want to do five minutes of expressive writing first. And then I'll, I'll check in with what I want. And then, hey, is a little bit extra guacamole going to do the trick? Or do I need to go right up to, you know, Chef AJ's peanut butter pie, right? And then you decide sort of what, and even within that, that's not, that's still a very health promoting choice. And even if someone, you know, jumps off the deep end and, and eats something, you know, in the standard American diet, hey, how do we have compassion and get back into choice? And I like alone, you know, when you're reflecting, you might say, hey, I want to take a nap because I know I didn't sleep well. Or when you know you didn't sleep, I'll say, hey, I'm going to be more tired today. I'll do that sometimes. You know, I'll say, hey, I'm going to be a little more cranky today. I'll tell my kids, hey, can you make sure that if you hear any tone in my voice, you let me know? And here's the signal to let me know because I'm under-resourced. And in our family, we talk about a shake. And we'll say, hey, if our shake is filled up, we're really resourced. And if our shake is low, that means we don't have a lot of resource. And we could do things like talk with tone or snap. Similarly, you might make food choices you don't want to, you know, you wish you didn't make. So how can you have, how can you have choice in, uh, at every step of the way? Can you also share the restore with them as a option too for kind of connecting to yourself and giving you a little bit more space and time around making decisions that might not be as reactive? Yes. Yeah, so we have this in the book. It's just something that I'll do regularly and it's to build up the, the, practice of regulating your nervous system. And when we're reactive, it's sort of our nervous system's dysregulated. And we want to get back into that state of choice and regulation. And RESTORE stands, the RE stands for repeat it. And then the S, that's S-T-O-R-E then. So the S is I'm safe. The T is there's time. O is okay. Everything's okay right now. The uh, R is there's room sort of freedom, I'm not constricted. And then E is expansiveness. And, and when we go through that, I'll stop by, I practice it first, I'll, I'll do that every hour. I'll actually set a timer so that my body just gets used to checking in. And it takes about 30 seconds. If we did it now, I would just take a deep breath. And I would really wanna feel it. Don't just, and it's not just an intellectual exercise where we say I'm safe and there's time and everything's okay right now. And there's room. I even move around a little bit. And then I just take a second to feel the expansiveness in the moment. And I'm sometimes, you know, touching my legs, a little bit of self-soothing. And take a deep breath and I just feel that expansiveness. And that's it. It's just taking a second to check into your body and help it regulate. And if you do that, and it's you notice how it was my voice and my tone and my breath. And, and there's a, a tactile sense. I said my hand is on my leg. And by doing that, you just, it's a wonderful way to make sure you decrease or sort of put a little stop on the reactivity in the moment. I think there's one more thing that I want to add, which um, I didn't, as I'm thinking about it, I think the first real thing to do is to celebrate even, to celebrate the awareness that lack of sleep is a trigger. So many people go through their day tired, exhausted, not have 
you know, not having had a lot of sleep or enough sleep, and they don't even connect the fact that that will and does result in making less healthy food choices. So even that awareness around, you know, I didn't sleep well, and that is a trigger for my food choices. That's a celebration. That's a discernment that you have made, right? That is already creating that new neural pathway. And that, that discernment is so key because once you wake up and say, oh, I slept poorly, I'm checking in, I can feel my body's tired. You can do things like, for example, AJ, schedule another improv class and say, I better load up on the improv classes because if I'm at home with the, me in the fridge and I'm tired, you know, it just, you know, it just takes one call from my boss and there we go. I'm going to, the shake's going to be completely empty. I'm going to be ne- you know, neck deep in the freezer. Right. So that to me, that discernment is what we're talking about, that connection to self. And or today is a day where I'm going to probably partake in more calorie dense foods. Let me choose the the healthier versions of those foods. Right. right? So so that discernment is what is creating that new pathway. And it's amazing. And that's what the restore also gives you the opportunity to do, to just take a minute to take a beat to acknowledge, to connect to self, and to really create that new pathway of, I don't have to associate lack of sleep with poor food choices. I actually have other opportunities and other choices I can make. And it's so much more wonderful when you do that versus say, oh, how do I avoid the fridge? I got to avoid it. And then for 12 hours that day, it's just you in this white knuckling fight with whatever food you're trying to avoid which is miserable. Even if you successfully avoid it, that was not a life is wonderful day. So I love switching it around in this way and um, just really being able to, to check in like we're talking about. Yeah, that was really helpful. She had, uh, did a follow-up post saying that um, it was her, her sleeplessness was because of either family stresses or anxious mm-hmm. thoughts about what her kids are going through. Also, so she doesn't have a clean environment because she has like eight kids. So for me, the most calorically dense thing in the house is beans at 600 calories per pound. So I, I just don't have anything in my environment. So it's never an option, to, you know, right. for me. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for you to go out to some place and get calorie dense food. Right. And Especially where I live now. I mean, the closest store is like 20 minutes away. And it's like, you know, do I really want to put shoes on and get in the car and drive? Nah. So, right. so you set up your environment in this way that makes it even easier to support your goals. You know, it's um, with these uh, regulation, right? That ability to regulate your nervous system. Sometimes people talk about mindfulness and meditation. But when you're mobilized and reactive, sometimes it's really hard to meditate even, right? Like a lot of people say, oh, we got to meditate. And I, we love and really support meditation. But this restore method, this 30 seconds of checking in and doing that over and over again to build up, build up that is a wonderful way to regulate the nervous system so that um, you don't have, if you, even for people who struggle with meditation, because we'll have people that'll say, I just can't meditate. So that, that builds that ability, the, that mindfulness and self-connection without having to formally meditate. Yeah. Great. So back to, did you have dinner with the people? She's saying they were, they were from Iran, I believe. Um, they passed away. This is like a, can you remember one dinner a long time ago? Let's see. Um, Rima and Eric She's a judge. Does that ring a bell? Morristown, New Jersey. Iraq. Oh, I used to, 
I used to live in Morristown. I, I, this is now, this is, I'm going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to ask your dad. Maybe. You'll have I, to come back. and, and <laughs> I'd, I'd love to remember this now. Now it's going to. That's going to drive you crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I know that always, I you'll wake up, happen. you'll wake up in two in the morning and remember. I know. And then I'm going to have be eating all the next day because I didn't <laughs> sleep you're going to have to call Susanna. That's hilarious. Uh, Stephanie says, is it possible to be in a state of life is wonderful, even if you're going through really hard things in your life? Yes, this is, I love this question. This is, I'm so excited by this question because there's one of the needs that we often forget about is our need to mourn. Right, our ability to mourn. There's, and we also forget about celebration. That's another big need. But mourning and celebration are two sides of the same coin, which is basically connecting to life energy flowing through you, right? And sometimes it's getting stopped up, and our needs aren't met. And sometimes it's flowing wonderfully, and our needs are met. When you're having tragedy or um, what we call unpleasant emotions, right? It's you can still connect and when you have that flow and that that connection to those feelings they naturally dissolve through that process of mourning needs that weren't met when you do that you remove suffering so unpleasant feelings don't cause suffering it's our thoughts about them it's our resistance to them it's our grasping at things that are that we want that we don't have that's what causes the suffering. And processing them alone. Oh, and yes, and being alone with your unpleasant feelings. So if you're like, you have to hide them or suppress them. So if we can share our unpleasant emotions and needs with and needs not met with other people, and they can support us empathically, and we can allow them to naturally flow. We talk about something called a feelings catcher in our in our book, which is what we do with our children to process unpleasant feelings. And it's this super fun fun way. I, if you want me to show you, I can, but it's, it's, again, it's, it's, we have these tools to help people do it. So we not only talk about it, but then we show you ways that work in our family. Not, yeah. Show us. I mean, why not? If you can. Right, so what we'll do is like, if this, if this was, you know, uh, my daughter, Jordan, for example, and she'd say, dad, I'm feeling really nervous about our test tomorrow. I have this big test and I'm so super scared about it. And I said, oh, I'm hearing your fear, right? So I don't try to fix it, change it, reassure her. I just want to be with it. And I say, first, just, I'm so glad you shared it with me. So you don't have to hold this alone. And I'm not going to try and make it go away. I just want to tell you that I'm hearing you. And I'm hearing, is there more? Is it just this, this fear? And you're really worried about how you're going to do tomorrow. And you really want to accomplish uh, and successfully uh, do the test. But can we take a second with this fear? And I'll ask her, I'll say, can you, can we hold this fear? And we'll, we'll hold it sometimes in a, a ball. And I shall say, can you, can we pull it out? And we pull it out and I'm going to hold it. So we take the fear from being inside her body and we bring it into our hands. And sometimes I'll hold her hand up. I'll say, let's grab the fear. And I'm grabbing the fear and I'm putting it in here. Oh, there's, oh, there's more in there. Okay. Let's put it in here. And I'm like, is there more? And she'll say, oh yeah. And I'll say, where is it? And she'll, oh, it's in my, it's in my stomach over here. And I'll grab it and I'll put, I'll say, did we get all the fear? And now, okay, let's hold this fear together. And we're just holding it and we're spending some time. We don't need to make it go away. And then what happens is we'll say, okay. Are you ready to let it go and sort of let it back out into the universe? And she'll say, I think I'm ready, dad. Or she'll say, I want to play, hold it a little longer. And when she's ready, we'll play with it or we'll let go. And we'll say, okay, ready on three. We're going to throw it into the universe and back the energy is going to go back out that way. And we'll say one, two, three, and we'll throw it out. And we'll take a deep breath. And it's, that, it's just a way with kids, for example, to play with the feelings and saying, hey, we don't need to make them go away. It's just natural energy that's flowing through us. And it's, if we don't resist it, it's going to get back out. It's going to do its natural evolution. 
it's the resistance and the, and the loneliness with it or holding it alone that causes the suffering. And I think, I th- yes, and I think it's, it's uh, a resistance to feeling those unpleasant emotions, stepping into mourning. And what happens is those things that we try and suppress or repress get so much bigger. Because if we look at life, even in moments of darkness, there is light. And even in moments of tragedy, there's celebration. And it's not an all or nothing phenomena, even though we might get absorbed in that in the moment. But coming from that choice, connecting to those feelings and finding, if possible, support in community so that we don't have to hold those alone can still create a state of life is wonderful, even during really hard times. And it doesn't even mean that we don't try to meet our needs either, right? So even when life is wonderful and we're mourning and connecting and we're fully flowing, we can still say, okay, well, what can I do to give me a greater sense of agency uh, when I take the test? Or what can I do because I'm really disconnected with this family member? What's the request I want to make of myself or the other person to help maybe increase the chances I'll meet that need? So to me, that it's, it's not one or the other, but a lot of times we skip to trying to make the feeling go away. And that's the strategy. How do we make this feeling go away as quickly as possible? That squanders the opportunity to connect and allow that life energy to flow. And that's the, that flow and that self-connection is so, is so important if you want to achieve a state of life is wonderful. Thank you. It's, um, there's, there's one other thing I also was thinking about the other question that you asked. One of the things that we also do, because a lot of people, they eat, and when they make these cho- choices that are reactive, they will, um, if they can just take a second to regulate. In fact, eating and swallowing, there's there's science that shows that just the, the process of eating and chewing and swallowing actually regulates the nervous system. So one of the reasons people want to eat when they're dysregulated, it, it actually can calm them. But it's not a, it's not one of the ways we would like to use food. We'd like to figure out other ways to calm. So I'll actually tell people, and you can do this with me right now, AJ, if you hold your hand up like this, and we're going to take a deep breath in as we trace our thumb up, and then we're going to blow out slowly as we go down. So now before we do it, though, I want you just to take a second to notice in your body, and we call this the check-in. We have a check-in meter in the book. And just for before you move your finger, just notice like a 10 would be, I'm really like popping. I'm like really almost like humming. And one is I'm really peaceful and calm. And you don't have to actually say the number out loud. You just notice what it is and you're checking in on your body. And people who are watching can do this as well. And then once you have the number, we're going to do five of these together. Here we go. We're going to do up and then blow out slow. And up again. Next finger. And the third finger. And blow out. And the fourth finger. And the fifth. And then we're just going to take another second to check in your body and notice the number. It could have gone up, could have stayed the same, could have gone down. And just check your number. There we go. And then we're going to just open our eyes when you're ready. 
And the whole point of that is to just show a regulation technique that doesn't require food. So imagine if you said, I can eat, I'm not going to tell myself I can't eat it. But before I go into the fridge or the freezer, I'm going to do that. It takes 30 seconds. And it also works wonderful with children, especially before bedtime. We do it with our kids before bedtime. So instead of yelling at them to calm down, we actually do an exercise with them. Um, our old technique used to be yelling at them to calm down. It doesn't work very well. So we came up with a new one, right? So anyway, that to me, but it's all about regulating the nervous system. And people can do that themselves if they're having trouble sleeping at night. And I'll do 10 fingers. Sometimes my daughter wants to do 20. She'll do the front and the back. But once we learn these tools, all of a sudden we can tend to our bodies in ways that help us achieve our goals. How was, was that for you? I'm just curious how that was. Yeah, no, I, I should have put it on a, um, gallery mode so they could have seen it. It was very relaxing. And I was thinking we had three little kids here under the age of 10 and they were like, this was like herding wild animals. If I had known that, <laughs> I would have said, wait a second, before you break another toilet, let's do this. This is really <laughs> That is great. So um, Lisa says, I'm 61 and considering retirement before the age of 65. And I've begun to feel that lifestyle and time are more more important than money, but I'm scared to take the leap, even though I know that this would be a good idea. Hmm. Well, the, I, the first thing I comes up for me is just empathizing with that fear. Instead of trying to make it go away or figure out what to do, just take a second to feel, yeah, financial security, my need for financial security. And there's some fear around what if I don't have enough money? What if I can't meet my physical needs? And just take a second there and then saying, okay, oh, and then after I spent time with that, what other needs are coming up? Why do I want to retire? That's a strategy. What is my need behind that? I want to have more time with family and friends. I want to have more time for play. I, I want to have more meaning and purpose in the work I'm doing. See, all of these are different needs. And we connect to what the needs are. And then we figure out a way to meet our needs for meaning and purpose and financial security. So it's not, should I retire? Should I not? When should I retire? When shouldn't I? It's how can we meet once we're aware of all of our needs, which is that connection to self, what strategies are there that will help us help me meet all of those needs? Is that helpful? Yeah, it is to me. So <laughs> here's a question that was sent in, uh, written in by a viewer, and they asked me to pose it anonymously. And she says, have you ever successfully treated any patients who've been consuming a whole food plant-based diet, SOS and gluten-free for more than 10 years, who have developed chronic and worsening abdominal distension with diarrhea? And if so, how? And the reason I asked that is because it seems like GI stuff is really related to you know, mental, emotional stuff, probably more than almost any other medical condition that I hear yeah. about. Yeah. When people have a pristine diet, because you, it's really important to understand this is where the polyvagal theory is really helpful, right? Because it talks about how the vagus nerve and there's different uh, branches off of it, but it, it innervates the gut. That's one of the things. And in order, and it's constantly, if you feel safe or the vagus nerve is trying to assess, do you feel safe or do you feel under threat? In other words, are you in fight or flight or is everything okay? And you're in that growth and restoration mode. And it's not something you can intellectually turn on and off. There's something called neuroception, which is your, uh, uh, it's not an active process. You're taking in cues from the environment subconsciously and assessing if it's safe or not. Noise, sound, sight, right? When your gut is working normally, 
it needs to constantly have signals from this vagus nerve, the ventral part of the vagus nerve saying we're safe, we're safe, we're safe. As soon as we go into any sort of high alert state, we call that mobilization of the nervous system. When that happens, it immediately pulls off the signals uh, you're safe. It's sort of like a safety brake when the car is sort of rolling and it's everything's going fine. And then all of a sudden you turn the brake on, it says, oh, we're not safe, go into high alert. And then it stops sending those signals and the gut can't function normally without those signals of safety. So does that make sense? Yeah. And I think evolutionarily, that's what we're set up to do. We're set up to be in fight or flight. And the reason for that is if we're actually seeing the tiger coming at us, we don't want to sit and deliberate and start thinking about what to do. We want to know immediately what to do. So our brain is wired to sense for danger. And we have to actively shut that off to get to that parasympathetic state, which is rest and digest, right? When we're not in that state, that whole digestive system, that whole microbiome is really impacted. Right. So that's where you need to have ways of turning back on your safety signals. And there's a whole, whole sort of tools to do that. But people who are living in those high alert states, they have high levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines going. They have higher levels of adrenaline and cortisol going. Their blood flow is shifted in a way. They're more reactive. They're going to have... Um, they're more likely to have chronic pain. They're more sensitized to pain. There's, they're more likely to have tone in their voice and their partner is going to hear a tone. They're more likely to hear tone in someone else's voice because your body is set up on high alert and it's trying to find all the dangers, all the threats. So when that happens, we can turn that off. And that's what's beautiful. And some people have experienced a lot of trauma as children or developmentally or acute trauma. Their systems tune, almost hyper-tune towards high alert. So we have to retune the nervous system, which is great. It's plastic. You can retune it. Right. Well, this is, yeah, you should come back after I listen to the book. Cause I just, I, honestly, I didn't have time to read it because it just came, but you say it's going to be on audible in two weeks. I will listen to it. And then we can have a really wonderful discussion on wellness to wonderful. The link is in the show notes. It's in the chat. We have a few of the live viewers that are reading it right now. So get this book, Matt and Lona. Well, I can call you that, right? Cause I've known you for years. Dr. Corey <laughs> and Letterman. I always call you guys just look so young. I mean, I've known you for like 15 years and it seems like you're getting younger. <laughs> how yeah, is no, that possible yeah well you know we i think all three of us look pretty uh, wonderful huh yeah <laughs> well thank thank you so much it's just a pleasure catching up with you any closing thoughts to the viewers yeah i i would love to redefine the bar right instead of just a lot of the conventional way of thinking is we're going to get you back to your baseline we're going to get you to normal but normal in a world of people that are unhappy not feeling good and again, I'm generalizing, right? I'm, but in a world where normal is not quite as healthy or where we want to live, let's raise it. Let's, uh, let's get it to wonderful, right? We don't want to just get to normal. We don't want to get back to our baseline, which could be mediocre. We want to get all the way up to life is wonderful. And when life is wonderful, all these other pieces start to fall into place. That sounds good. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you, you, AJ. It's my pleasure. So guys, Grab the book. The link is below. And do please come back at 2 p.m. today for Straight Talk with Dr. Doug Lyle, where he'll be answering your questions. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.